On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. Well, thanks for joining me once again with On the Record with April Ryan. I am so pleased today to be talking to a friend, someone who is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, to add to all of um, her credentials, uh, her name is Valerie Jarrett, the former senior advisor to President Barack Obama. Hello, Valerie Jarrett. Hello there, April. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm fine. Congratulations on this new book, uh, Finding My Voice. I mean, that's that's amazing. New York Times bestseller. Thank you so much. I have been just so touched with the outpouring of support, and, and I feel that the book has really touched the, both the minds and the hearts of a lot of folks, and that has been uh, very reassuring. So first of all, um, you've got this book out, and you have you you've got this great tour going. I just saw you on Instagram with uh, Beyonce's folks, <laughs> her mother and her stepfather. I was I was at a great party that John Rhymes threw for me in Los Angeles. It's a great chance to talk to folks who have been through this, have written books, and are out uh, trying to improve the world. And I did a reading for them as well. Wow. I mean, you've been everywhere with this. I mean, if, if, if you watch Valerie Jarrett on social media, be it Twitter or on Instagram, you'll see this whirlwind book tour and it's propelled you to uh, the New York Times bestsellers list. This book is a great read. What made you decide to write this book? The idea of writing the book really came from my daughter, Laura. I was doing an interview with her for StoryCorps. And the first question she asked me, April, is, well, what would you tell a 30-year-old Valerie Jarrett? And I thought about it for a minute, because she kind of took me off guard. And I realized I had a lot to say to a 30-year-old Valerie Jarrett, based on how much I've learned since then. And then I thought, well, maybe I have a lot to say to everybody, and I should just tell my story in the hopes that people would see this young person who was painfully shy and would never do public speaking and didn't trust my own voice, let alone use it for a good purpose, and how I grew and changed and learned to speak up for others and for myself, and that my journey really has been a kind of a circuitous path, but the adventure comes in the zigzag, and I have been, I've been kind of craving that straight line, April, when I was younger, and once I got the confidence to veer away from that, I've never looked back. Hmm. So I've read the book and it's amazing. And it, you know, a lot of things, I mean, you're very honest, you're very open about, and you start about, um, you start out talking about, uh, you know, how you were trying to find yourself at a young age, being a young mother, um, and crying in an office and something that you, uh, are known for telling people do not cry, uh, in front of people. It can hurt, but just don't cry. Why do you say that? What is the lesson that you've learned? Well, I think I, well, I'd say a few things. I think it's okay to show emotion, but cry is, crying is usually when you feel like you are out of control. And the reason why you're crying is oftentimes because people are trying to hurt you. And I think, like, don't give them the satisfaction of knowing that they got under your skin. It takes a lot more strength to look strong, even if you're hurting on the inside. Uh, than to give them the satisfaction of knowing that they got to you. And when I was in the law firm, I was trying to pretend like everything was okay. And I would put on that stiff upper lip, and I, I can remember April being like nine months pregnant and being in a conference room working at one in the morning, and I was trying to pretend like nothing was happening below, below like my neck, right? My head was the only thing that mattered. 
but I was miserable pretending. And so there is this tension between speaking up for yourself and being clear when people do things that you don't think are respectful or hurtful, but also trying to project this image of confidence where you say you're not gonna you're not gonna make me crack and break. And it's a delicate balance between the two. Yeah, without going uh, giving up all of the book you know no spoiler alerts here but but it's it's interesting you talk about those moments in your life where you had everything planned and you said you know you learned the lesson learned was the zigzag the, the wonderfulness and the zigzag beyond the planned moments um talk to me about how you had to find your voice at this stage in your life as someone who I mean, you you have basically, we can call you the, the kingmaker, you know, in Washington, you've made a president, um, you know, and, and you've you've orchestrated uh, policies and and initiatives. And you were that person that people would go to to say, well, what do we do? And then in, now in your life, you said, you know, you still had to find your voice. You still had to find yourself. Why is that for Valerie Jarrett, the kingmaker? Well, first of all, he had a great deal to do with where he got. I know, I know, but but we don't want to give it away. But but you contributed to that success. <laughs> but there, well, many many of us did. But I think the point I'm trying to make is is that we're always trying to find our voice. Every time we're in a new situation, I mean, if anyone had told me when I started my career as a young lawyer that one day I would be working in the White House for the President of the United States. And so when I walked in there the first day, I was looking around and I'm going, oh my gosh, am I worthy? And I think we all have those self-doubts, right? And part of what I want people to understand is that they're not alone. I was meeting with a group of young women a few days ago, and one of them came up to me afterwards and she said, did you ever have the imposter syndrome? Well, now it has a name to it. When I was growing up, it didn't have a name, but I can tell you when my college counselor told me I would never get into Stanford, my first day on campus, I wondered, was I was I supposed to be there? And I think people can have that impact on us. But when we start opening up and talking about it, and we realize, oh my gosh, there are lots of people who feel a little insecure. And you can work your way through it. I mean, I described in the book, the first time I gave a speech in the East Room in the White House, I was terrified. And I kept thinking, oh my gosh, what if I trip and fall in front of the White House press corps, April Ryan and all of the colleagues <laughs> are out there, and how humiliating that's going to be. And I said it because I wanted people to know, even if I went up there and I gave this speech and I might have looked confident, I had butterflies in my stomach. And that's okay. It's perfectly human. Oh. And I think I try to do it with humor in the book because sometimes when you talk about painful things, you can People can hear you a little better if you make it funny, but I just want yeah. people to know that they're not alone, that I, and particularly I talk about like young working families, and I was a single mom, you're a single mom, but we both have a lot of support, we have means. There are a lot of working families out there that are, you know, working double shifts and don't know that their children are in good hands and can't figure out how they're going to pay both the rent and buy food and you know, all of the, all of the, what goes into taking care of a family. And I want them to know that we're fighting for that. Because I went through that experience with everything going for me, and it was still hard. Huh. Still, I felt like I was hanging on by my fingertips more days than not. So what about those families who don't have the support system? 
that I had. So that's really why I wanted to tell a story. I want people to know that there's not alone, that everybody can feel uncertain at times, and that just because you stumble and fall doesn't mean you can't get back up and live to fight another day. You're a unique person. You know, you come from a family of first. You, you've lived around the world. You were born in Iran. People don't know that. And, but the crazy thing about it is, is that your experiences are everyone's experiences. And you connect at some level somewhere along the way in that book with you. Um, and it touches everyone. And I'm, I'm going to share this with you. Um, you know, when I hosted uh, one of the discussions that you've had about your book, a lot of the women left feeling empowered. And they, there was this one woman that I was told that, you know, she was in a quandary about where she was going to go in her life and leaving that, that session where you talked about how to do the zigzag and not always think it's going to be one way and just, you know, being insecure and finding your way. She wound up going for a job in New York just from listening to you. Do you find well, that? That means the world to me. <laughs> That's like all I could ask for, right? Yeah. Yeah, people are, people are feeling empowered by your real-life conversation about your life. Well, that was my hope, is that people would feel the sense that their voices matter, that they can take control of their own lives, that they can make a difference and improve not just their lives, but to feel the sense of responsibility to also improve the lives of other people. And I think all too often we don't know that we have that within us. And I want people to understand the agency of their own strength. So we can't walk away from this piece. You talk about um, your relationship and, and your meeting with the forever first lady and forever president, Barack and Michelle Obama. Um, talk to me about that point because people, especially for a time such as this, you know, people want to hear an empowering message, but they also want to remember who used to be there, who, you know, for some people, they were the quintessential uh, uh, piece of elegance in politics or or people who brought them into politics to understand what it was. Talk to me about, about that piece of your book, about, you know, your meeting and, and, and the work that you guys did together that really shaped the world and changed lives. Well, I met them back in the summer of 1991 when I was in the mayor's office and uh, working for Mayor Daly as his deputy chief of staff. And uh, it's funny to think back on it now because in a lot of ways, the Michelle Robinson that I met is the person that our country and the world has gotten to know. She was confident. She spoke with a, you know, a sense of passion and commitment to service. She talked to me not about her resume at that first meeting, but she talked to me about her family and growing up on the south side of Chicago and how uh, she, her father had been a precinct captain, and that's what motivated her to explore public service. And she was at a big firm like I had been and didn't want to be there and was uh, looking for a chance to serve. And so I gave her a job offer on the spot. I just thought she was fabulous. Now, I didn't have any authority to give her that job offer, but I just thought, who would, who would say no to this? And a couple days later, I was talking to her, and she said, my fiancé doesn't think it's such a good idea. Would you have dinner with us? And there have been people who've said to me, well, now why was she consulting with her fiancé about a job? And the answer is the same reason why he consulted with her about every decision he made in his career, because they're a partnership. And she had the confidence to say, look, if you want me, you're going to have to convince not just me, but my fiancé. And I think that strength and 
respect that they have for one another, the way they've planned their lives together, lives that for as long as I've known them have been dedicated to service, just says a lot about them. And I will say to you, the entire eight years that I had the honor of working in the White House for President Obama, there wasn't a single day where I felt he lost his focus. He didn't put a short-term political interest ahead of the country. He put the country first. And I was there to see it up close and personal. I was there to see how she supported him and moved forward with her own important agenda, which was also about empowering young people and helping them aspire to lead better lives, whether it was you know, eating healthy and exercise or helping adolescent girls stay in school or kids apply to college. The two of them comported themselves in a way that I think we should all feel very proud. And Valerie Jarrett, one last question. Uh, you write about this in the book, um, but you, you know, and I've said this before, I've said this to you publicly and personally, you're a bad sister anytime someone says something negative about you in the news and their show, their brand new show is taken off the air. I'm talking about Roseanne. The reboot got the boot. <laughs> and you talk about that in the book. Talk to me about Roseanne. Uh, Roseanne who? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say that, April, because you know what? This is never about me. I think it. I think what happens there is symptomatic of a problem we have right now in our country, and that is that people, rather than talking to each other and listening to each other and trying to learn more from one another to gain a better understanding, they're talking at each other. Sorry, through, they're talking at each other through social media. And uh, and there is an undercurrent of toxicity that I think we all have to have some responsibility for trying to end. And uh, look, our history in our country is one where we have seen discrimination and racism, and we are better than that. And I think as adults, we all have to appeal to the goodness in one another and not attack each other in, in um, hostile and, and angry ways when we don't even actually even know each other, right? Yeah. And so I feel as though the people who I was there in Washington trying to help and the ones who I'm now devoting this chapter of my life, it's all about trying to create this even playing field where every young person can compete and aspire to their dreams and bring out the best in them. And so I don't think we have time for that kind of uh, rhetoric. Yeah, and speaking of rhetoric, and you, you addressed this in your book, you talked about... Um Donald Trump um, at the White House Correspondents Association, and I'll never forget that night. He, um, I remember you were sitting next to Anthony Anderson at, at the ABC table, and he. Uh, you have a better memory than I do. I remember. I remember very well. <laughs> but nonetheless, you got to read the book. This is a book that former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama openly tweeted about. Um, about their friendship with Valerie Jarrett and the support for her and this amazing, life-changing book. Valerie, I so appreciate you, and I thank you for writing this book to help many of us understand that we're not broken, we're okay, you know, and to give us strength in the midst of the storm, just watching you trying to figure it out at every stage of the game for your life, and your life has been amazing. So if you can go through this kind of stuff, we can handle it, too. Well, thank you, April, and you know how much respect I have for you, how hard I know your job is more days than it should be, and you hang in there, and you are uh, quite 
purposeful about trying to get answers to questions so that you can inform both the people who read your writing and the people who listen on your radio. And as a White House correspondent who's been there for now, what, over 20 years? 22, 22. 22 years, uh, you just make us proud. And so you hang in there and continue to do what you do because it informs the American people. And that's, that's your job. And it's a hard one, too. Thank you, Valerie, and thank you once again for the support, and thank you for writing this amazing book, Finding My Voice, by New York Times best-selling author, <laughs> Valerie Jarrett. Can you say it with me? New York Times best-selling author. Best-selling author. Yes. I, I love it, and I'm so grateful to the people who have uh, purchased it and who are sharing my journey now by hearing my story, and I'm interested in hearing theirs as well. That's what's so fun about being on this is getting a chance to talk to people either in photo lines or who come up to have their book signed. And, and I've heard some amazing stories of people who are making a difference as well, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Mallory Jarrett, thank you. You be well, April. You too. Thank you for joining me with On the Record with April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.